Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. These are the audio versions of the sermons preached each Sunday. I hope you enjoy. Good morning. At the risk of ostracizing some of you, I just wanted to point out that I'm wearing this green tie because of the Michigan State game yesterday. For for you Ohio State fans, we will pray for you. (laughs) Now I've really done it. I'm sorry. All right. Our reading today comes from 1 Peter 2, 4 through 10. Come to him, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into spiritual houses to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scriptures, See, I am laying a stone in Zion, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. To you, then, who believe, he is precious. But those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner, and a stone that makes them stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When I was very young, my sister and I found out that we were mixed or multiracial. My father is black and my mother is white. This education didn't become a realization until much later, a realization that my sister and I were different. We couldn't exactly say that we were white, but we couldn't say that we were black either. We were something else. We were others. I learned this term in school when I was taking a standardized test. Under race, they gave you options to bubble in, uh, and they said, choose one. So if you were more than one, you were an other. This term grew more and more ingrained in me as I grew older. When applying for a job, my race was other. Filling out forms for national and local governments, I was an other. I couldn't get away from it. I didn't belong. I didn't have a race. I was an other, which by definition is something of difference or the leftovers. I was something with no definition other than different, or the one that wasn't important enough to count. I felt cast aside, forgotten about. I know that I'm not the only one who has felt this way, being the other, being the outsider, being unwanted, uncared for, or unnamed. I know this because 1 Peter speaks to others like me. 
First Peter was written to a group of Christians in Asia Minor who had become exiled because of their social and religious identity. They became exiles, aliens, others in their own land. They were Christians in a vastly non-Christian community. And because of that, they became shunned. Now, exile was nothing to take lightly back then. You couldn't just up and move to the next cul-de-sac like you could nowadays. A family did not live on its own as a single unit. It took a whole community relying on each other and trading with one another for goods. One family could not provide everything that they needed. There had to be trading and exchanging with others to support your family. There were no Myers or Targets anywhere that they could just stop by and pick up what they needed. So being exiled puts you on the outside of that community, meaning that you weren't only separated socially, but economically. You automatically became impoverished because you had no one to trade with. Being exiled puts you on the outside looking in, wondering, how can I survive alone? The author of 1 Peter saw these hurting people and wrote to them these encouraging words that we read just a moment ago. Towards the end of this section, we, we saw that it says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Right there at the end, it says that we do not need to be defined by the world because we are God's people. See, the world loves to break us down into categories. The world loves to divide us and characterize us and make us statistics. The world loves to give us names like other. But God says, your name is not decided by this earth, but by me. You have been called out of darkness, out of despair, out of divisions by race, age, sexual orientation, gender, class, size, shape, and abilities, and put into the only class that matters, which is God's. I know that I'm not alone in feeling othered. Because Peter reminds us in his letter that Jesus was cast aside. He says twice that Jesus was rejected. The story of Jesus is the story of an other. Jesus was subjugated to torture and death because he wasn't the same as the religious and political leaders of the time. Peter reminds us that we don't have an aloof God that is just sitting and watching us. He reminds us that Jesus came to this world and went through the same kind of oppression and sorrow and pain that we do. He reminds us that no matter what we go through, we have a Lord, a Savior, a brother who has already been there and suffered that. Peter tells us to come to Jesus because we are being made into spiritual houses, houses whose cornerstone is Jesus. He says that because of this Lord of ours, who came and died and rose again for us, that we are no longer what we thought we were. We are no longer divided. 
We are a new family, put together by the hand of God. We are no longer black and white. We are the true Israel. We are no longer gay or straight. We are the seed of Abraham. We are no longer liberal or conservative. We are God's true temple. We are no longer divided. We are one people. This is the core of what my ministry has been and will continue to be. Providing a space where we see each other not divided by economic status or gender or race, but a place where we are one and we are loved and accepted just for that, just for being exactly who we are. This is the root, the core, the foundation that our ministry must stand on. But it is not the finale. This would be too perfect if that was all we needed to hear. That we are one people. That the chains of this world cannot hold us because we don't belong to this world. But there's more. I've learned that when you read scripture, there are two questions you have to ask. The first question is, what does this mean? And I feel like we covered that pretty well. If you want to continue to cover it, there's some commentaries in the library you can check out. The second question is, what does this call us to do? Now, this is a much harder question. Not because it's harder to answer, per se, but because most of the time, we don't really like the answer. So now, we must think about what it means to be one people. Well, usually, I think of it like I think of family. So what does it mean to be family? Well, let's start with definition by negation. Family doesn't mean that we always agree. It doesn't mean that we don't argue or fight or get mad at each other or storm away from one another. It doesn't mean that we don't embarrass each other or annoy each other, hurt and tease each other. I find that these things are pretty universal in all families. But in spite of these things, we stick it out and we fight through. Because hopefully, underneath all of it, lies love. The best way I have found to define family comes from a movie called Lilo and Stitch. Ohana means family. Family means nobody gets left behind or forgotten. We through Christ are one family. Christ didn't come just to die for America He didn't rise just for Presbyterians. Christ didn't teach only for Christians. No, Christ came for the entire world. And if that is true, if Christ, the rejected stone, came for the entire world, then he is the cornerstone for all, and all have mercy through him, and all are encompassed in this family. Which means that you are brothers and sisters with those suffering. We are related to those in Beirut. We are kin to those in Paris. We are blood with the governors deciding to shut their state borders and with the terrified Syrian refugees seeking safety and solace and being denied help. They are our family. We have to find the forgotten. We have to restore the left behind. We need to reach out to our brothers and sisters who need our help. If your blood brother or sister or mother or father or daughter or son needed you, I doubt 
that there would be any hesitation in you, in your mind or in your heart, to reach out and help them. Well, your family is hurting, and they are in need. First Peter reminds us that we are a royal priesthood, not just one royal priest. That we are a holy nation, not a holy individual. That we are a people of God's own possession, not a person of such. We do not stand alone. In his letter to Corinth, Paul put it this way. For just as the body has, is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is in Christ. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice with it. I love this metaphor, and I'll tell you why. Who here has ever twisted their ankle? Alright. Well, when you twist your ankle, I used to twist my ankle a lot when I was a kid. Uh, when you twist your ankle, there are a couple things that happen. One, you step on it one more time just to make sure that it is really hurt and you can, you're like, okay, yeah, no, that's, that's hurt. <clears throat> but then something happens and it's unconscious. You, you help that ankle. I, I don't think about shifting my weight. I don't go, well, I just twisted my ankle. I need to shift my weight over to this leg. I need to move my torso like this. It's unconscious. I don't tell my arms to grab onto something so that I don't fall over and look stupid. I don't have to think about these things. I just do them. If we are truly the body of Christ, if we are truly God's hands and feet in this world, then we shouldn't have to think about helping those in need. We shouldn't need time to consider what troubles we could encounter if we open our arms. We shouldn't ever say, I just don't think right now is the best time for me to help you. It should be unconscious. It should be immediate. It should be an instant reaction to part of our body being hurt. We need to help heal the wounds of our body and bear the load for those parts that need rest so that they can get it. Jesus tells us to love our neighbors as ourselves. We see in the story of the Good Samaritan that our neighbors are all around us, even those who we have rivalries with or those we count as enemies. See, nowadays, the term Good Samaritan is common. When you hear it, you think, yeah, that's just a good person. But in Jesus' time, that was a ridiculous statement. That would be like me saying a good terrorist a good extremist. If the story was told now, Jesus would say that one of you guys were hurt and then Alex passed you by and then Judy passed you by and then a terrorist helped you. That's how ridiculous Jesus' story was. Miguel A. de la Torre put it this way in his book, Doing Christian Ethics from the Margins. Regardless of the neighbor's belief or confession of Christ, that neighbor still has worth before God. Let me say that again. Regardless of that neighbor's belief, that neighbor is still your neighbor. Regardless of that neighbor's belief, that neighbor has worth before God. This means that if someone is an atheist, or a Buddhist, or an agnostic, or a Muslim, they have worth in God's eyes. 
and we need to treat them as a neighbor whom we love. That is what Jesus asks of us. That is what being a member of the body of Christ looks like. That is what we do as family. We live in a hurting world where it's easy to focus on ourselves. But Peter, Paul, De La Torre, and Jesus remind us that we aren't in this world alone, that we are one family. Let us fully live into what it means to be family. Family means that no one is left behind, that no one is forgotten, and that no one is an other. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.fpcah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.